Shredheads, waxheads, kooks and barnies, corn rinses and vortex shamans, high priests of the cone zone, holy women of the monstro orb. It's time to pack your sleds, your fishing rods, your camping gear and your froth bucket. Chuck it in the wagon, point the thing for Waves Campground Crescent Head, because this October 21 to 23, the first annual Swellness Summit, presented by Greenlight is going down. It's a weekend of surfing connection, brotherhood and sisterhood of learning, listening, and their transference of wisdom from all corners of the surfing experience. The goal of the weekend is to arm you with the knowledge and the tools to make good choices, healthy choices, choices that benefit yourself and others to reconnect with the natural world and even improve your surfing. Once there, you'll experience the regenerative, the regenerative, the regenerative, fuck, the, the regenerative powers of meditation with a three-time world champion and all-time froth lord, Tom Carroll. You'll practice the martial arts techniques behind Brad Gerlach's wave key. You'll learn of resilience and mental fortitude from the Swellian Queens, Jody Cooper and Pauline Mensah. And you'll pick up tips on permaculture and sustainable farming with Asher Pacey and Jarrah Tutton. Richie Vass will be there teaching discipline, self-defense techniques, and Johnny Gannon and others will be loading up the body if you want to get fit as well. Telling you, it's that and a whole lot more. We'll be doing giant Wim Hof workshops. Wait till you get a room full of 40 people on the Wim Hof program. Fully in, let it go. You'll never feel the same. You will just be buzzing out of your skin. We'll have ice bars on hand. Live bands absolutely shredding. DJs kicking us into the night. Fucking oath, there will be dancing and a good old-fashioned send because it is a Swellian event after all. The Swellian Summit is a gathering of the tribe. We're going to load you up on the mana that you can take with you for the rest of your life to make good, healthy living a priority and hopefully share that wisdom that you've gained with other people in your hometowns. The inaugural Swellness Summit, presented by Greenlight, will take place this October 21 to 23. Tickets are available at theswellians.com. Get on it. They're selling fast. We'll see you there, Swellians and Swelliettes. Eat. Pray. Cone. Ain't That Swell presents... Yeah, shredheads, waxheads, kooks and barnies, welcome to this Ain't That Swell special Core Lords with none other than the great Tube Vortex Shaman, Eat Prey Cone Mm -hmm. icon across the ages, Jerry Lopez and his old mate Stacey Peralta, Dogtown, Z-Boy, Pioneer, OG, Pro skater, discoverer of Tony Hawk, originator <laughs> of Pal Peralta skateboards, and uh, mm. uh, the director of several of the, the greatest films to come out of the board sports realm, plus a feature documentary on the uh, Bloods and Crips. Mm. Wow! Yeah, wow. what a what a morning. Uh, Smithy got the call up. 
Patagonia uh, invited us up there to speak with Jerry and Stacey on the uh, the promo tour for their film, The Yin and Yang of Jerry Lopez. We went and watched it. Oh. Um, in uh, what the Stone and Wood Brewery in Byron yep. Bay, and uh, how was the turnout? By the way, there was like Rusty Miller, the old big wave surfer who's relocated and been up in the Byron area for a long, long time. Saw Mex Sumter there. Uh, Mal Bruff was there. These are like you know ancient names in the Australian sort of surf industry bubble, like. Mal Mex, um, Mariam Sumter, uh, Mex's dad, he was the guy who started surfing Australia and basically paved the way for your midgets and your gnats and the birth of, you know, surfing as anything other than just this bizarre kind of hobby that Mm. had been around for a few years. So there was sort of those ancient relics, those fossils who have been, uh, you know, instrumental in the birth of surfing in this country. But then there you had, what, Pauline Mensah turned up, the great Swellian Queen, Battle Queen, uh, eight-time world goatish, uh, greatest of all time. Steph Gilmore was there. Who else did you see in the crowd, mate? Massive uh, turn. I, I mean, it was all walks of life. Is my point. Like there were there were van lifers, there were pros, there were like the hardcore hot doggers. There was just such an array, man. And um, it just felt like you know something special was about to go down. And, and the film itself is just. Classic, mate. What a sick movie, eh? Like, frothing on just that 70s vibe, that mana of, uh, you know, what they were doing, the way they were sort of breaking just what could be done, the, the realms of possibility just getting reshaped every single time they paddled out. Shaping boards from session to sh- session, a lot like what happened on the mm. Goldie, uh, sort of inspiring that shortboard revolution. But, yeah, it was a, it was a magic night. What did you make of the film? Yeah, amazing. It, w- it wasn't just some naff, you know, retrospective on the, the shortboard revolution. Nah. There's been a fucking thousand of those films now. Mm. What this was was such a complete look at the life and times of Jerry Lopez. You know, he's you kind of have him uh, in your memory as this eat, pray, cone, peace, uh, love and mung beans character. But, mate, he was far from it. At different times, he was caught up in the, the drug-fueled mania of Hollywood. You know, there's, there's footage of him punching on on the beach at mm. Pipe. Like, uh, you know, he, he opens the film uh, apologising for just fading cunts mercil- <laughs> mercilessly for decades. Like, you know, this guy, yeah. uh, he, it is really the yin and yang of, of Jerry Lopez. And who better to come up with an opus like this than Stacey Peralta, mate? You, you cannot, like, in my mind, Stacey Peralta is every bit the equal of Jerry Lopez. Like, mm. he's skating's version of Lopez. But then he also, uh, you know, similar to the way Jerry became like a, a yoga and, and wellness guru, um, you know, Stacey's also interested in that stuff. He's a daily meditator. But he, he went into a, a whole different medium and became one of the great filmmakers mm. uh, of his generation, at least where it concerns our sport and our culture. It's a fucking ripper of a film. Heaps of sick, acidy, shroomy, like, iconography. Great storytelling, really high-end modern techniques. And, uh, mate, what we're about to get into now was fucking peak experience mm. for Smitty at least. <laughs> oh, no, no. I was right there with you, mate. I've, I've met Jerry a few times. I was thrilled when I walked in and he, he remembered who I was. I was just going, fuck, mind blown. But, um, yeah, mate, just uh, an absolute pleasure to sit down with both these guys. And they look kind of like, yeah, they're just living proof of that old adage, you know, a rolling stone gathers no moths. Like they, mm. they have just figured out a way 
to move forward in, in a fully karmically balanced existence. You know, like they're, they're not just sort of busy for the sake of ego at all. They're, they're busy for the sake of, of just movement. And and staying engaged with life and engaged with people and creativity and all these things. Well said, yeah. And man, I just uh, I felt inspired not just for myself, hey. Like I, I felt inspired for my dad. I felt inspired for my kids. Uh, I felt felt inspired for my daughter, who you know, like I, I just think there's something to be gained out of lives that have been so well lived and learned. You know, these guys don't just sort of experience life and question you know uh they don't leave the door open for doubt you know like they mm. look and internalize a lot about how they got to where they got to and the methods to seek out a truer form of happiness like mm. a, a legitimate happiness yeah and these guys they, are legitimate seekers you know they're on the journey discovering mm. things as they go along and doing their best to impart that knowledge on, on everyone around them and uh you know these Press junkets can be fucking grueling. Like these poor pricks mm. have been on the road for months, <laughs> mate. They've been all through Europe, through Japan, and like oh, no. you know, they're they're not spring chickens anymore. Like oh, I, I, to be honest, couldn't really put up with that. You know, that kind of all that just time in in planes, trains, and automobiles. Yet here they were, full of beans and, and powered by the notion that they're here spreading. Um, you know, the gospel of eat, pray, cone. Yeah, horn. that's and, true. I mean, on top of that, you know, they were fucking absolutely buzzing after this interview, which mm. was a cool thing. Like, I, I get really, you know, quite, what's the word? O almost a little bit ashamed to be meeting people in a setting like this and potentially, you know, extracting their energy. And, like, I don't like to be a drain uh, on my heroes. And, you know, this was the furthest thing from that. Uh, once the interview had wrapped, they were super appreciative and uh, su super, you know, just congratulatory in terms of what we'd managed to uh, – put together for him there was a, a real energy exchange that's there. What i agree i reckon they were energized by the end like but when we sort of wrapped it up they were up on their feet they were pumped they were ready to go to the next one instead of sort of you know dreading it but you're so right man uh, i thought the energy exchange was was really solid really um sincere and i guess what i was just tripping on was uh you know when i was reflecting on that convo i just couldn't believe how uh, at times how nervous and frothing i was just every now and again i'd be looking at jerry or stace in the eyes and i'd my mind would go blank because mm. i'd be like fuck i am we're sitting here talking to fucking jerry lopez mate mr pipeline brah and um yeah so i, I kind of stumbled over my my words at times i got it too excitable uh but I, I, nevertheless you know you're sitting with two guys who have no judgment they they're just there to enjoy that moment with you and that's my takeaway from the film too, you know, like the, to find that stillness and to have that clarity of pure, you know, ex, what is humility. it? Humility. Ex, yeah, humility, but to know that the moment you're in is the most important moment. Mm. Like that really felt like it was simmering through the whole interview. So I was grateful for it and uh, I hope, you know, the listeners today will be frothing on this chat as well. Fucking earth. Let's get into it. All right, we're here with Uncle Jerry and Uncle Stace. Boys, welcome to this uh, grand continent. How are you finding things here? You're, it's a part of a big old world tour you're doing. Yeah, this is the third leg of the tour. We've done um, Europe, Japan, um, well, fourth leg, America, and now Australia. Yeah. And then we go to more America and then Mexico after this. 
And uh, you were saying before that you were a bit concerned about how the film was going to be received here. I was concerned. I don't know if Jerry was, no, but I wasn't. <laughs> I, there, and I was saying this because there's a spiritual thread through the film because of Jerry's yin and yang lifestyle and his pursuit of yoga. So it's an inner, you know, search. As a result of this, I didn't know how it would go over in Australia. This is a really important country when it comes to surfing, and you guys are very hardcore. And I just wasn't sure. What's been great is the very thing I was worried about. We've gotten incredible feedback from. So the exact opposite happened than what I thought. So it's been really great. And you weren't worried because you've hung out with uh, Aussie lunatics for years, mate. Some of your best mates are some of the biggest yeah. lunatics Australia's ever produced. <laughs> well, I mean, just, you know, the last trip down here, which was, geez, almost 10 years ago now, um, I just went, wow, okay. This is the place. You know, this is where surfing lives in everyone yeah and more than any other spot on the planet and i was telling stacy yeah we got the best chance with the film down here and he's going i don't know i don't know <laughs> i was nervous but man i'm not nervous now yeah we've had such warm receptions at all the film screenings we've had here it's been so good yeah, and you can always tell if a film works because we have question and answers afterwards if people don't like the film, man, they leave quickly. <laughs> and we're keeping the audience, which is a really good sign. And and those Q&As, I mean, are you surprised by the knowledge and the depth of, of some of the questions that you get asked after oh, people? Oh, no, completely. The yeah. whole thing, yeah, I'm surprised by the engagement, you know, that they're staying, that they want to, you know, keep asking more questions. Mm. Absolutely. But we had, in the after the Melbourne showing, more questions about... The spiritual side of surfing than we'd had in any Q&As in all our showings. Yeah. I mean, it was, wow, <laughs> okay, put me on the spot, man. I better get my game together. It's really interesting because uh, you've actually put this film out at a really interesting time in Australian popular culture and surf culture where there is this huge kind of shift towards um, you know, mental health literacy, taking care of ourselves. And, you know, some of the biggest names in the game, Tom Carroll, Nathan Hedge, Kobe Abaddon, um, Dean Morrison, these guys have taken on this uh, new persona or new direction in their lives where, you know, it's all about breath work and, and meditation and yeah. yoga. But, you know, this is after decades of cocaine and <laughs> meth and alcohol abuse you know and, and that was a big part of the surf culture it was all about machismo culture and sending it and um you know surf hard party hard but there's been a real directional shift there um and one thing i've i really admire about you jerry is that you know you always stayed true man like you no matter what was going on around you you, you stuck to your practice you know your, your zen kind of tradition of, of yoga and meditation and mate uh, you know, bless you for doing it because it, it really did set an example oh, and kind of make it easier, I think, for a lot of us to, to kind of shift um, towards that lifestyle. Well, I think, you know, that's the reason we're here on this lifetime on this planet is to discover that at some point. And um, my yoga guru said that he was the original guru, Swami Sivananda, sent his pupil, Vishnu Devananda, whose book has been my Bible for over 50 years, to the West, to America, 
to bring, you know, because so many souls were reawakening in America and his mission was to bring them back to the path of yoga. And this was, you know, in the 60s when he sent him here. And when I was in college at the UH, he passed through. I had already, you know, was embracing his book and he passed through and lectured there. And I just went, oh, man. And that's why we're here. You know, we've, we've got to get on this path. I mean, you know, not everyone may call it yoga, but it's kind of the same path as surfing. And it's just that path to raising our whole... Let me add, I'd like to add something to this because I've spent a lot of time with him, okay? And we got a question last night from somebody that was, how do you keep going? What's the trick to keep on going? And I told them that, you know, Jerry's, like you said, he's been doing this a really long time. He's incredibly disciplined every single day. Like, for instance, we were sharing a house in uh, um, Torquay. My girlfriend and I were upstairs. Jerry was living downstairs, okay? And he told me he does the ab wheel every day when he does his yoga. So the other day, we're having coffee upstairs, and I hear him doing the ab wheel, okay? And after five minutes, I go, wow, he's still doing it. After 10 minutes, he's still doing it. After 15 minutes, he's still doing it. 20 minutes later, he's still doing it in a row. I ask him, how many do you do? He goes, 600. No, it's only 400. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. The, then it doesn't count. That doesn't count. Yeah. No, but the point is, he, he realizes if he wants to live the life that he wants to live and learn these new forms of surfing and continue to be on it, he's got to put in tremendous effort and upkeep to his body. And set an example, you know, I guess by, by keeping yourself in such incredible nick and, and, you know, you're just being it. You are, you are it. You don't have to pontificate or proselytize. You, exactly. You just live and embody good health. and um, That's exactly know. it. Yeah. Um, so and also he learned his drug lesson at age 28. He didn't prolong it till he was in his 50s. <laughs> so he quit at 28, you know, the, all the debauchery. Mm -mm. I mean, not that he did a lot, but I'm just saying that's that was the cutoff date. Well, you know, actually, it's a lot more simpler than that because as we get older, you know, as surfers, it gets harder to stand up, especially on a little board. And the reason is, is because we start to lose that core strength and we don't even realize we're losing it. And it's, it's as simple as that. And, you know, they, oh, it's my back, man. My back's killing me. It's not the back. It's the front. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, you I, know, we've been doing the gut wheel since the 70s and I'm still doing it. I do a routine. <laughs> guys, I do a routine every day that includes 30 pop-ups. Mm. You got to do it. Yeah. Otherwise, I lose my ability to jump on a surfboard. But just like, I mean, in addition to the physical benefits of it, you know, the mindfulness and, and just the pure just energy, positive energy, the ions and all that stuff that you're generating just by being healthy and, and being in the moment with your body like that, it translates and goes a lot further than just your physical nature, right? I mean, you're... It carries on through your life. Yeah, yeah. And, and that discipline, and I think that's a good word really to sort of nail down because so many people just want to have experience and you know be in the moment with 
whatever they want at that particular time. But the discipline is really what allows you to enjoy that stuff to its full potential. I don't know if you get told this all the time, but I get told this like people say, well, it's easy for you. No, it's not easy for me. I want to wake up and have breakfast and just go lay on the couch. But I don't. I do my I do my routine every day, meditation and yoga every day. I don't want to. I want to be lazy. Yes, brother. Yeah. But I got to do that. it. Yeah. I got to do it. Yeah, and you know, we've had this great good fortune in our lifetime this time to be born surfers mm. and surfing has been tremendously beneficial for all of us you know i mean our our whole being um, you said it you know much more than physical mm. mental but even deeper than that too and and that's the beauty of surfing, and that's why it continues to grow, and the crowd, you know, the lineups keep getting more and more crowded, because it's a beautiful thing that really gives back um, as much as you know anything in life, and that gives back more. Mm. Yeah. And it really, for me, it's really about connecting with the divine energy every day, and. You know, there's various ways to achieve this. Yoga is one way. Breath work is one way. Meditation is one way. Um, surfing is one way. You know, just being a part of the the energy that is generated by the earth and by nature. And by connecting to this on a daily basis, you know, it keeps you honest and accountable and on track. But, you know, if you drift off the path and you, you, you forget to do your work each day, you can easily lose your way and it can turn into a negative loop that can last a day a week a lifetime yeah but jerry like you know let's go back a bit to you know a, a time in your life where you were surrounded by absolute chaos you know the north shore was a was a wild joint especially through the 80s you know you, you're talking about like some of the heaviest characters in the history of surfing um a heavy drug scene and there you are you know doing your downward dogs and, and meditation and what not like can you give us an idea of how wild it was in those days and what it was like to be representing a lifestyle that's like so different to the the culture i guess of that place at that point in time well you know in 1980 we built that house on the beach there but at that point in time i already realized i couldn't it was impossible to live on the north shore so i was just a visitor and anytime the waves were good out front I'd come over and I'd paddle out early and I'd just stay out there all day, you know, and I, I realized at one point that I'd much rather sit out there in the lineup just being there than I would on the bench on the beach, you know. And it was, uh, um, for me, all that other stuff was going on, but, you know, I was felt like I was personally in a really beautiful spot just being out there just sitting i mean i didn't even have to catch waves just being a part of the pipeline and that at that point in time in my life that was enough and you know of course gland was happening as well but at a different time of the year and that whole part was really helpful so when i came to the pipeline you know i wasn't struggling to try and bring my paddling back i already was there 
and I could really just sit there and and, and totally enjoy it. Mm. And it's interesting, you know, you, you go to G-Land, but again, that culture that I'm talking about, the hardcore, you know, outlaw culture, it's still very much present. You're sharing space with guys who were, you know, were some of the most hardcore traffickers of the time, I guess, your Boyums, your Rasmussen's, your McCabe's and stuff like that. And yet there you are still doing your downward dogs and your meditations. <laughs> like, I mean, it's such a, a wild contrast. Yeah, but it was easy because there are these beautiful waves, you know, and that was what I was connecting with. I don't know what they were thinking about because they were connecting with them too, but maybe, you know, they had other things on their mind and I just had that one thing on my mind and that's what I wanted. I wanted to connect with that and it was right there. When you're around him, he is single-minded. I mean, completely single-minded. He doesn't see the other stuff. He's so focused on what he's doing. That's what I pick up when I observe him. He is just so focused on what he's looking at and doing that he's not even aware of this other stuff or interested. So he doesn't devote any attention to it. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, in the movie, there's this beautiful story about, you know, your first visit to the ocean and getting pushed on the waves and that happiness that you feel. And it's something like everyone can relate to, you know, your first ever waves. And then as you sort of become more involved in surf culture and as surf culture changes around you, you start to see what Smivy's talking about, you know, that the culture shift, the localism start coming into it. And both you guys are from places that were really ruled with iron fists for a long time, you know, like a lot of power and a lot of Oh, the 70s violence. was a rough time in the world. Yeah, man. And like, yeah, I just wonder, you know, how did you sort of – I know that you had the single focus out there, but I'd love to get both your takes on this. You know, how did you sort of deal with the way that surfing was changing? Because you're from a place and your first experiences, uh, you know, so much of it is spiritual and, and joyful and gratitude in the Hawaiian experience and connection with surfing that like watching it turn into what it was turning into, you know, the, the policing, the violence, the strong arming and the localism. Um, and even more so from, from that zone where you're from, Stacey, it's like, it's like what were you thinking as surf culture started becoming so toxic? There were toxic. certain beaches we surfed as a kid in California that were like, you know, going to the inner city. That's right. Were yeah. you worried about getting your butt kicked all the time? So you had to watch things and it was it was dicey. Mm. Your cars would get destroyed. You know, you'd get in the water with the wrong people. You really had to look out and understand your surroundings. It was it's tough. It's not what you grow up with in Hawaii, is it? Like when you're a little kid and you're getting pushed into waves, like you're, you're taught that this is part of the culture. This is who we are. So what was it like when you were paddling out and having to deal with, I don't know, just this growing sense of sort of greed and... you got to remember, he was Jerry Lopez when he paddled <laughs> out. <true>. So <laughs> there was, there was yeah. a certain cachet that comes with that. That's true. That just but even just watching the energy change around you, you know, because that, that was changing quickly. I mean, you know, like I said, I was just focused on the waves and... Yeah, some days were more crowded than others, and, you know, there was stuff going on. And just, come on, you guys, get a hold of yourself. For some reason, a lot of times, I'd bring up a better behavior in a lot of those guys that normally, you know, would act up um, at the least provocation. And, you know, I don't know if that was my job or what, but... Um, I seem to have 
sometimes have that effect that just to you know okay calm down everyone mm. Let's, everybody take your turn wait for your turn yeah and and that worked you know a lot of times it worked and belinda said that when um we were surfing up at um secrets at, at ulu there and you know usually that's like the mellowest lineup in that stretch and you know there was a lot of guys there that one day and she came out and you know she wasn't getting any way she's getting frustrated <laughs> and you know everybody was like kind of aggro and she said i paddled out and oh i thought everybody was mellow she said no they only got mellow after you paddled out <laughs> interesting <laughs> wow they're like paying you respect and reverence to the the culture that you embody by taking on a bit of it when you paddle out that is a, a rad imprint to be able to leave on surfing but, and people you know i mean that's kind of how it should be i mean <laughs> we all get along rather than you know not get along mm. and that's i think the our dilemma in this modern world is that you know there's on one hand tension and the other hand you know calmness and stillness and but the problem is when you go in the water and you catch a really good wave, that wave makes you want another one so bad. <laughs> and that's when the problem begins. You mm -hmm. want it so badly and you, you want to keep that momentum in your system going. You've just had this great wave. You're all fired up. I got to get another one. I got to keep this going. And that's when the trouble begins. Yeah. I don't like it in myself, but it happens. I can't stop it. Mm. You know, I want to learn to ride whitewater. Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. if I could learn to ride just whitewater and be happy with that, I'd be the most happy surfer in the world. Mm. Take yeah. the fins out of your soft top yeah, and, and just, um, just ride just whitewater. I, so I would love to learn how to do that. I think that to me would be pure enlightenment. Yeah. Well, I was. We were just saying outside before. You know, when it, when I see uh, Albie Fowles on surfing at Crescent Head, he's happy just sitting out wide cheering on the girls as they wow. surf past. And uh, you it's know, that's, that's a great day in the water for him. Mm. Uh, catching See, the waves. That's enlightenment. Is, he's yeah. he's enjoying it through them. Yeah. That's enlightenment. And, and Jerry and I were talking about before as well, like. Uh, just being in the ocean, like, I don't know if it's an age thing or, or just, you know, like that thing of like wanting more and needing more, whether that starts to fizzle a little bit. I definitely still get caught up exactly what you're saying, Stacey. But mostly like, like now, you just some days you're just like, I've just got to go paddling. Like that's all you feel like doing and it can just be as rewarding as catching any wave. I think it's from a neurochemical point of view, I believe, uh, you know, dopamine, they call the molecule of more. Uh, and I believe it's dopamine that you get for completing tasks. Oh, so like, man. you know, you make a pit or you do a good turn, you get a little squirt of dopamine <laughs> and then uh, you know, it starts to subside and you want more of it. That's it. That's it. That's exactly it. I want that slow drip to keep dripping. Exactly. But, you, not, yeah, but you kind of got to, you got to know that, I guess, know that it's just a dopamine squirt. It's going to subside and, uh, just to kind of keep that, keep your composure. But can I throw something into this? And this is something, another thing that Jerry and I have been asked, you know, in, in Europe, a couple of professional surfers asked us at a Q&A one day, they go, how do you guys deal with the crowds now? It's not like it used to be. We don't get it like we used to have it. And both of us said, learn a new form of surfing. For us, we learned how to kiteboard. What that did is it allowed us to use a, a form of waves we'd never surf on. 
but it enabled us to have a great time doing that. Now foiling, we're riding waves that we would never surf on. So move into other areas if you can't get what you want from where you were getting it. Yeah. There's plenty of new avenues. Yeah, I mean, East Coast of Australia, we're just so lucky. If, if you... Uh if snapper's packed, you literally just drive two minutes to a, another beach and it's empty a lot of the time. There's just constant beaches and all that sort of things. Smithy has to constantly remind me that we've got it pretty good here. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it all just comes down to riding energy and connecting with that energy mm. and, and the energy that's given to us by these storms and, and this, this nature, this earth. So that's kind of my mantra. Mm. Yeah. Push it in. Yeah, that's my mantra with surfing now. It's just right energy, like in, in whatever form it comes. But like you said, with the kite surfing, the foiling, there's a million different ways to connect with this energy. And that's all it's about. It's not about doing turns and getting the biggest pit in the crowd. That's like external validation horseshit. No, but we can't keep wishing it to be what it once was. We have to go with the changes. And if you don't go with the changes, you get left out. And... I don't want to be left out. I know Jerry doesn't want to be left out. So you move on and keep evolving, you know? Jerry, there's, there's a heavy karma attached to, you know, trying to control a resource like surfing, um, trying, you know, wishing for it to be like it was back in the day. Um, and, you know, for a lot of those characters who were heavy locals and, and who did get caught up in the, the machismo culture and the drugs and stuff, like, you know, they did not experience the longevity and, and good health that you experienced. And a lot of these people were your friends, you know, and they, they met a premature demise. Was it difficult for you having the answers to their problems, but, you know, in the form of yoga and meditation and breath work, but not being able to save some of your friends along the way? Well, I mean, you do what you can, you know. And the thing with, even with surfing, but especially with yoga is that if the individual is not ready for it, it's not going to happen. And it only happens when it's the right time in that person's lifetime. And, you know, you talk about the connection with the energy. That's the whole thing. I mean, that's the whole thing in life. And that's why I was saying about us being fortunate to be surfers is that we have this the easiest opportunity to connect with that energy of anyone else on the whole planet, including the yogis, especially them. I mean, they, you know, to get to that, that dopamine squirt, <laughs> they have to go through hours of deep meditation. You know, we go out and right off the bat, we get lucky and we get a tube ride. Oh, man, we're already there. You know, we've touched that state of samadhi, that, that super conscious state. Mm. And we've had so many opportunities to do that. And most of the time, we don't even realize that. But when you think about it, man, this is super, super special. I mm. mean, this is, you know, Yogananda stuff, man. And, it's very true. Yeah. you know, here we are. We get to the chance to do it every time we paddle out i've been thinking about surfing just this weekend in fact like trying to picture it from the perspective of god god looking down on us and i swear like god must just look at us like where you know surfers like some guy he's got say he's from western sydney he's got a hatchback 
He stuffs his bodyboard in the back of his hatchback. He drives down a summer reef break. He fucking sits in the car park, huffing plants, <laughs> and then just goes out and starts getting spat out of orbs, screaming his head off. And God, I reckon God's looking down, just going, "Fuck it, would you get a load of these cunts? Have a look at them. What are they doing? Like they've cracked a code that's not even written in any Bible or mm. sacred text. We're tapping into something that's so profoundly, like, positive and energetic." Um, through you know these, we're, we're reaching ecstatic states through the mm. the ingestion of certain plants and <laughs> connecting with nature. It, it's a it's a wild trip, and like you said, yeah, we're we're reaching these kind of uh, ecstatic states that it takes hours to get to through yoga and whatnot. Yeah. It's a, it's a real gift. But if you want to sustain those states for real, you can't do that stuff. You got to do yoga, meditation, and keep surfing. You know, real and not you know make a mess of it. Mm. Yeah. Because you don't always get the tube right. Mm. <laughs> can we? Can I mention one thing that we both really believe in, and that and we've both talked about in the Q and A? You've seen the film. No, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, no, okay. I've seen moments of it, so I haven't had a chance oh. to check it okay. out. Okay, there's a scene in the film when Jerry's 70 years old, where he's learning how to foil surf. Mm. And it's a side of Jerry that no one has ever seen, in that he looks like it looks like you're watching an episode of America's Funniest Home Videos. Mm. He's Cooking taking out. the worst wipeouts you can ever imagine and not succeeding at all. And in the film, he says, you have to allow yourself to fail. And we both, one of the things that we've both seen because we've been around professional athletes our whole life is they don't want to leave their chosen profession to learn anything new because they're not willing to be a kook again. Mm. And it's so important to allow yourself the freedom to be a kook because it liberates you. It's liberating. Mm. When you hold on to what you've been doing and you only do that and you want to continue to only do that, it's, it limits you so much. Yeah. But you have to let yourself be a kook because it frees you <laughs> to do anything you want. And yeah. he's living proof of it because <laughs> at 70, he took up foil surfing. Yeah. And, he, and it shows a side of him that no one understands because everyone looks at the way he surfs and goes oh it's easy for him mm. super easy for him but it's not mm. they never got to see the pictures of me learning how to surf the pipeline <laughs> yeah. very important was, key yeah. though is to if you want to move on in life man be a kook yeah yeah i think that's uh bang on I, I know that like you know you hear a lot of uh athletes saying that the transition into a normal life once they retire is really hard and i guess that's yeah, because they, they don't want the identity they don't want to leave yeah they're, they're wrapped up in it um I, that goes for anyone leaving any job or anything that they've done for a long time it's so hard to just let go and say all right i'm just open to whatever new is coming because so much of your life feels like it's caught up and tied up into it but it's dangerous what? being really good at something yeah. really serious no i'm not kidding i've i've been around a lot of these people and they can't let it go that's right yeah i was gonna say like uh in the film uh you know from what i've seen of it and read about it the the conflict between being someone who is you know disciplined and has a certain type of lifestyle that they want to live and then also becoming you know the head of uh or that's this at the tip of the spear that was the commercialization of surfing and all of that, you know, growing business around it. What sort of conflict did that present for you? And was that something that was really interesting about making the film? Was diving into that part of it a yeah, bit? Yeah, because it's part of his yin and yang. 
Don't forget your mic there. Oh, oh yeah, it, it, yeah. Sorry, it's part of Jerry's yin and yang yeah. experience. He's in in one regard, he's the most soulful surfer, and in another regard, at one point, he was one of the most commercial surfers. Yeah. So he was balancing that r- wide spectrum. And was there a conflict? Like looking back now and and making this film, do you look back at it and go, "Man, I was actually in a bit of turmoil there," or were you just cruising through idiot. the middle of it? <laughs> no, you know, because at that point in time, in this whole surfing business, the business of it, it was really a first that mm. no one had ever really thought that business was going to become as big as it ended up becoming. Mm. And so this was all kind of a first time thing, you know, and I was a dumb idiot, you know, I just went. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I'll just ride along with it. And but I just. Can I add something to that, though? Yeah. Check this out. We live in a day and age where surfers are paid a lot of money, okay? There was a time in the world where Jeff Hackman, Barry Kaniapuni, and Jerry Lopez were number one, two, and three, or all number one, okay? Mm. Yeah. In the world. Only one of those guys made just enough to not have to work, and that was Jeff Ackman. Mm. The number two and three had to shape surfboards like Jerry Mm. and Barry. At that time, all of us, me included in skateboarding, we were looking for the holy grail to make money so we didn't have to work, so we could do the thing we loved. And so Jerry (laughs) was part of that. It's like, I'll do anything. You want me to take a picture in this thing? I'll do it, because I want to surf. And we didn't know the repercussions of it. You know what I'm saying? So Jerry was caught up in that wave that was moving very fast. He got an opportunity to be the, you know, the spokesperson for Lightning Bolt, but it was like he gets to surf. He gets mm. to go to G Land every mm. year. He gets to and, surf and the checks are just year. like here you go, go do this. Here you oh, go, go do that. Man. It's not like you're getting a, a contract that will set it you up. It was a for promise life. of Nirvana, yeah. and it's the thin end of the wedge. I mean, at least you're not swallowing condoms full of Bolivian ether wash cocaine. <laughs> No, back then it was either you're a drug dealer or you're a waiter. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Or you just give it up. Or you built surfboards and yeah. you know. surfboards. But was but what both of you guys, you know, that every uh tribe has its elders, right? So as you guys are uh you know becoming at the top of, of this new push into commercialization and stuff, were there a couple of crew giving you shit and like actually coming down on you for selling it out if you know what i mean like i mean that's not yeah we faced that i did we yeah. faced that because it was a brand new thing and some people had an issue with it and some people didn't some people said yeah go for it other people said no you're selling out it's a, it's a mixed bag but in mm. the long run everyone says you know what you guys did the right thing yeah i mean like you say you can't see it at the time but you know i was just wondering who were those bear type characters who were going like the ones that complained it's all going wrong man (laughs) the ones that complained were the ones that weren't getting it and wanted (laughs) i'll be very honest with you they're the ones that never got anything that really actually wanted in yeah you know that yeah (laughs) but you know the funny thing is in that in the film you know, we go through, and I didn't realize I did so much of that. And <laughs> I wasn't getting any paycheck. Mm. And it wasn't until the very end before Lightning Bolt actually started to implode that um, I finally put my foot down and said, I'm not going to do this anymore unless you guys start paying me. Mm. And, you know, they went, well, and, you know, grudgingly, they 
they started paying me not very much mm-hmm. but you know at least something and you know that was um a time when i actually believed i remember you know pt telling me yeah you know we're going to be pro surfers and people are going to pay us to go surfing and i went are you out of your mind <laughs> nobody's going to ever pay you to go surfing you're you know you're dreaming he was right. Mm. It was in the zeitgeist, man. Everybody knew that this was a possibility. Yeah, I didn't, you know, and BK didn't. I mean, you know, Reno was probably hoping, but, um, and Jeff, you know, he actually, when we were in high school, he was already, he belonged to the Duke Hanamoku surf team, which was him, Butch Van Artsdale, and Joey Cabell, Paul Strau, and they were paid like a hundred dollars a month or something, which, you know, in the nineteen sixties was huge that wasn't money. Bad. Yeah, I mean, and he, um, you know, he already got that taste in his mouth, and, and he kept that going as long as he could. But it was a pittance, you know. I mean, it it was not really enough to really live on but it was something you, you guys got to remember when we when we started when we invented backyard pool skating it was totally illegal <laughs> everyone looked at us as vandals everyone had looked at us all of our life as vandals for being skateboarders why would you waste your time doing that so suddenly someone wants to pay us to do this you better believe we jumped at that man oh yeah yeah. That was a, I mean, that was a dream come true. They're going to pay us to do something that some, everyone has told us is a waste of life for the, you know, the whole time. And, and history looks back on you guys so fondly. You know, whatever commercialization you guys had to do, it enabled you to, to push a culture and a way of life that's had the most insanely positive effect on humanity. All over the world. Yeah. All over the world, man. Yeah. It's, like, it's huge. Yes. Skateboarding and surfing are a way, a doorway to a life mm. for so many kids. Yeah. And you hear this all the time. Oh, skateboarding saved me. Surfing saved me. Because Millions of get, lives. Thousands yeah. of lives. No yes. doubt about it. Yes. Yeah. And the dream of being one of those people that gets paid to do it. It's a big deal. Mm. really is. Yeah. I'm interested to know, I mean, going back to, to Venice and, you know, the, the Dogtown Z-Boys day, I mean, you know, you, you one of the OG pro skaters, one of the, the most storied filmmakers that's come out of our culture. I mean, what were the lessons that you learned in those early days that, you know, survived you to now? Like the, the, the lessons that really um, shaped your life and career? It's funny. It's the lessons I've learned now at this age that I didn't understand that I was doing in the past, but that I've come to understand, which, God, how, how can, I'll try to explain something. I've come to realize that I don't believe our talents belong to us, okay? And what I mean by that is, is if, if I had a great talent to skateboard, okay? It took me all around the world. I could have believed in that talent and I could have gone me, oh me, but I didn't. I went, you know, this is, I'm lucky here. And, it, and it's now that I realize what it was is it's not mine. I'm the custodian of it, but it doesn't belong to me. And I realize our job, everybody has a dream in them. And, the, and your job is to bring that dream out because when you do, that's what makes this world, okay? 
Jerry had a great dream. He brought it out, and it may, and it contributes to the world. So my talents don't belong to me. They belong to the world. Mm. But it's my job to develop them and then share them with the world. Now, I've lived my life that way, but I couldn't have articulated that when I was 20. Mm. But I understand it now when I look back and put the pieces together. I went, okay, that's what I was doing. And having worked with so many pro athletes and said, look, we're in this for the long term, it was always that, develop it and share it. And then when it's done, let it go. Don't hold on to it because if you do, it's going to wreck you. Mm. You know, and that's one thing Jerry's done so well. You know, when Pipeline was done, okay, it's done. He let it go. He moved to Bend. He didn't go, no, I'm Mr. Pipeline. I'm Mr. Pipeline. He didn't keep doing that. Yeah. And that's the beauty of him. He just, you know, the film ends with him riding a one-foot river wave. One-foot river wave. This guy's ridden the best waves in the world where no one was in the water. However mighty have fallen. You know, G-Land <laughs> and, you know, a pipeline, and here he is yeah. having a good time on a little one-foot slab where, you know, where he has to stand behind 11-year-old kids to wait his turn. <laughs> No, I love That's that philosophy. Renouncement. I actually love it because it's it is true. Like if you're if you're using whatever gift or power or talent or creative force that you've got to inspire or help other people, and that goes like not just in the creative realm, like in any form of your life, if you're directing your energy into helping other people or getting them psyched or whatever, that's really the only true true path to feeling sort of happiness or contentment, mm. genuine is to be able to like know that you're going to bed at night and other people are feeling like but also tapping into what you're able to share. But in what you're saying is not owning your thing, but mm. giving it freely. Exactly. Exactly. Giving it freely. Yeah. So you don't take and possession. And a sense of like real gratitude too is a big part of that. You know, not feeling like you deserve it or entitled to stuff, but being grateful for whatever good fortune you are able to experience. Yeah that can go a long way into feeding into happiness and stuff as well. Yeah. I, I, I want to, can I, I'm not talking too much, am I? No, go, I mate, mate. I just want to podcast. You can't talk, talk, I want to add something because I was, uh, <laughs> Sam George and I talk a lot. You guys probably know Sam is. And um, we were talking before and I, I, said, I told Sam, I go, the first professional experience I had as a skateboarder was being brought to Australia by John Arnold of Golden Breed mm. in 1977. I flew in here and went to work as a skateboarder and toured all your country and showed, you know, Australian modern skateboarding. That was a wave I took off on. And when I got off the plane with my girlfriend, or with Jerry, actually, I had this premonition like, oh, my God, I'm still riding that wave. Mm. I got on this wave as a kid, you know, to ride my skateboard. And here I'm getting off a plane with Jerry Lopez that I've made a film about. How did this happen? Ah. I'm still riding this wave. It, that all began then. Of course. And because, and like, your intentions, your heart's in the right place and you're making the effort to connect with um, this divine energy or whatever you want to call it each day. And it, so it just keeps consolidating your path. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. But it, it, it's also, uh, you know, almost like a, a universal truth of, of how to live appropriately, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. A testament to, yeah. to that. But just trying to stay on that wave. Yeah. Because as we, we don't realise sometimes that... We're living life real time. We're living, we're riding this wave right now. And a lot of people, like you talked about these guys that got left behind, they fell off the wave. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. And 
you got to keep on the wave because it keeps breaking and it, and it breaks mysteriously. We don't know where it's going to break. We don't know where the sections are going to be, where the hollow spots are going to be. But you just got to stay on your board. Yep. One surprise after another. Yeah. And good times and bad. You know, not all parts of the wave are good. Nah. Well, let's not forget that we, we live under a system which is constantly trying to push you off that wave oh. th through a million different ways. Um, yeah, but we do it to ourselves, though, too, mm, mm. in our own head. Well, it, but our heads have been so conditioned by the culture of advertising and consumerism. Um, and these things are, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing. They're, they're often toxic and they... Uh, destroy lives and I think you can credit a, the downfall of a lot of your contemporaries with just being victim to a, a phony culture do you agree I think they're victims of themselves you know you get to choose yeah. and you know I mean a lot of times you don't know which way to go which what to choose and I think most people are hopefully trying to make the right choice i mean for me you know i'm always trying to make the right choice but i don't always and sometimes i've made the wrong choice and then you got to live with that and hopefully learn from that so the next time that opportunity comes you choose the right way mm. uh, we're moving too fast we're not built to move as fast as we're moving right now and as we, I, that's my belief and as a result we're making a mess of the world because we're just going too fast consuming too much just too much we're not designed for it you know jerry says something in the film about um you know the 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 water is always moving its yin correct yeah, and, the, and when he moved to Bend, Oregon, he was near the mountains, which are Yang, and that's where the stillness is. Mm -hmm. And he's also, we've also discussed this, he's talked about that if you're not searching for the stillness in the activity, then you're missing the point. Mm -hmm. And that's what yoga and meditation and surfing ultimately should lead to, is finding the stillness, because this is what we've escaped, this is what we've diverted from, because nature is still. When you go to the forest, it's still. Mm. Everything is still. The ocean is really still. It's us that's just frenzied. And mm. we got to, you know, become still. Slow down. I think the problem with the commercialization of surfing is that it's led to a culture where, you know, waves are a, a finite resource and people are trying to, especially pro surfers, are trying to consume too many waves. <laughs> and they're getting frustrated with, with the crowds. Like, the better you are at surfing, the, the more entitlement you feel to Very the, true. the better quality waves. And I think we've kind of lost the whole point of it. It's not really the point to consume as many waves as you can to get your level higher, to get the sponsorship, get the contract. Like, all this shit's like you know very peripheral to what surfing's meant to be which is just connecting with energy connecting with each other these things have gone way by the wayside it feels like and it's due to a culture and a, a form of conditioning but you know it takes that's part of the process of learning too i mean and you have to look at it and just go all right <laughs> he might take a little longer to learn but I'm going to use that as an example for me to go, I got to go this way. I don't want to go that way. And I mean, that's, you know, one way to look at it. And I think that we're in a lot of ways, you know, we have to make the choice. It's not 
made for us. I mean, you know, the waves of life aren't easy to ride, but there are waves, and we have to ride them on our own. Can I add something to that? Um, and, and to what you're saying, um, a couple of years ago, a really perfect south swell hit California, okay? It, it was, the waves looked beautiful where I lived, but they weren't rideable, okay? So I drove two hours to Santa Cruz. It didn't work out there, and I drove back to my house, and it was almost good, but it wasn't. And I knew there was people in California getting great surf, and I was so pissed off and so anxiety-ridden because everywhere I went, I was missing it. Mm. And I was just in a tangle of, of uh, frustration. And this voice, and I'm not a religious person, but I'm a spiritual person, mm. but this voice in me said, say a prayer for all the surfers that are surfing in California right now that they have a great day. And I went, are you kidding me? <laughs> I want to go surfing. I'm not going to do that. And this voice seriously said that. And it kept saying it. And finally I said, okay, I guess I got no choice. I said a prayer. Mm. And I said, I hope every surfer in California is having a great experience. And I swear, I was fine. Mm. It took all the crap out of me. And I'm like, wow, is that, that's all I got to do. Oh, that's all I got to do. It was, it was a great learning lesson, though. I can't mm. have it today. So make sure everybody else can. Mm. And it was really, it helped. And I, it, it just, it was what private experience had with myself, even included an argument. Mm. But it ended so beautifully, and I've never forgotten that, and I keep using it, you know? So what do you see when you look at surfing today, Jerry, like a, as a whole? You know, I mean, you, you've been through so many different eras. You're still surfing every day. Like you, like you were saying, you know, one foot waves in a river. Like it's, it's all still stoked to you. Um, yeah. How do you feel about it in general? Do you feel like it's uh, on the right path or is it something that you just, that you're happy to just let it be? And No, I mean, I, I truly believe that it's on the path that it's on, but that for every form of it, we're all like so lucky to get to do this in this lifetime because there's a goal out there and you know whether you reach it in this lifetime or not you're going to get at least a glimpse of it and that i think is very very reassuring you know when you go deep enough or far out enough in consciousness that's when you bump into the sacred and these are real experiences. You know, it's real. It it will happen. And, and let's take that just a little bit further because we can't talk to you without talking about pipeline. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. <laughs> I know. So, like you know, performance-wise, and the way that people now, the best pipeline surfers, really, and I think maybe always the best pipeline surfers are the guys who do it the way you did it you know where it's it's effortless like the john john looks like he's almost sleeping like it's almost just so rhythmic and easy you know like he can slide down lose the fins do all that sort of technical stuff but in essence what he's really doing is just in perfect connection yeah so i mean how how do you view the way that pipeline's being surfed and what to you is good surfing out there these days well i think they're surfing a lot better than we ever did and they're you know riding it on equipment that I never thought it would have been possible to, to ride that wave with. And, my God, I mean, with that 
crowded lineup, that's a whole other element of, you know, danger or obstacle that they have to deal with as well. And <laughs> these guys are way better surfers than we ever were, I'll tell you that. But that they can continually, constantly do this and pluck those beautiful waves, those beautiful rides out of this, what looks like total chaos, mm. is just really um, a testament to the the level that surfing has attained mm. in this short lifetime that we've lived it. Okay, there's a guy, I just saw a guy, he's riding Kira. Kira's not even rideable right now, okay? <laughs> he's riding these completely unrideable waves on a foil. Yeah. And he's the only one out. He's riding real estate we would never use. And there you go. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? That's what it's, it's all about. Finding the stoke. But I just, uh, just on the pot thing before we let that go, because um, I, I did see this as part of the film as well, you know, like being in that moment, being completely at peace with it, not fighting it. You know, like understanding that all that power and all that craziness around you is kind of almost best management, uh, best managed by just being still, you know, like we were talking about earlier. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to know, like, when you're watching Pipeline now and the surfing that gets you so st stoked out there, it always seems to be those guys who can attain that st stillness in that craziness. And a, a perfect example is... Um, uh, I was surfing it one afternoon, pretty solid, pretty big, same sort of deal, like a big, big crowd. But there were just two figures that weren't jockeying. They weren't doing – they were the furthest out. It was uh, Bruce Irons and Derek Ho. And it was this late afternoon, big green, you know, that beautiful colour it gets, like the gold light coming off the back of it. And they just sat there. They never moved. And then the set of the day came in twice as big as everything – and they just split the peak and they both looked like yeah. at peace. Oh, at yeah. pure peace. And in all that maelstrom, the, the, this, the crowd split like, you know, like a biblical scene, like Red Sea stuff. They just went <laughs> out of the way. And down they come and split the peak and just both got completely barreled. And I was like, man, yeah. that's got to be the secret out there, doesn't it? Well, like, you know, they were so waiting well for that said. wave, yeah. you know, so, and sometimes it takes a long time for that wave to come in, but they knew what it would look like when it was coming, and so they just kept waiting, and, and finally it came, and they, you know, they knew, yeah. and they knew what to do. They did, and there was not... They weren't greedy, man. They weren't going after anything in between. No. They didn't just knew the, the wave the, they wanted. They didn't want the little dopamine squirt. So they were just, <laughs> yeah. just waiting for the big super They wanted soda. the big <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've, I've, I think that's what I used to do. I'd go sit out there all day and, you mm -hmm. know, just wait for those ones that I knew I wanted, that I knew where they would come. And... I knew where that spot was, and I just sit there and sit there, and then you know, well, here it comes, and then you get it, right? <laughs> As a filmmaker, mate, and you know, having been uh, not just a part of all the skating scene and all that that was going on, but obviously the surf films you've made as well. How was it for you getting to just trawl through some of these guys' sessions? And really relive those. Oh, I mean, go through the footage? Yeah, and just oh like God. really get to tap into like. It was unbelievable. I sat for, there was a 
period. Oh, sorry. There was a period of four months where all I did at nighttime was watch old surf films, and it, I mean, it was almost made me cry because these are the films I grew up with, and just the purity of that time. I, I personally think that the time that Jerry was at the pipeline, sixty-nine to seventy-five. Man, that was an unbelievable time in surfing. It was un- anti-commercial, no logos, nothing on the boards. Boards were beautiful. Nobody was making money. It was such a great time. Mm. The cars were beat up. Everyone was just getting by eating rice and peanut butter. You know, um, it Eat was... Eat cone, Vaughn. <laughs> you know, exactly. and it was Simple just... Times. You look at those films and... Man, my heart would just bleed because that's when I grew up surfing. Mm. And it was just nobody knew there was a future in any of it. But it was such a great thing to do and so much fun that that's all we needed. That's all anybody needed. Mm. Just the ability to do it. I'll eat anything. I'll go anywhere. I'll sleep anywhere. I just want to live this lifestyle. Cool, it was so man. fantastic. And just you're reliving those sessions when you've got the raw footage. Like you're there, you're like oh. watching it in real time, not all cut up and stuff. It must just feel like a window in no, directly see, back into time. It was. Yeah. It was. But, you know, I mean, Stacy said it from the beginning that we're trying to find stuff that hasn't really mm. been seen before. You know, it's not on the internet. It's not where everybody can see it. And, you know, we had um, like... Greg McGillivray opened up his vault of, you know, for stuff that no, that he outtakes that he never dealt with. Wow. There's stuff of Jerry shot during Five Summer Stories that they never used. Really rare stuff. And mm. we made a deal with Yuri Ferrant, who has never let anybody have his footage. Um, or has, you know, his footage has been really secure over the mm. years. He had stuff of Jerry no one's seen. Really great oh, stuff. That's amazing. I mean, Jerry, I asked Stacey the question. I'll ask it to you too. You know, you're the son of bloody cane farming uh, laborers and, and, you know, you come from a, a really humble beginning. But, you know, what were the lessons taught to you in the early days, um, both by your family and, and through your upbringing surfing that, that really, uh, you know, endured and, and paved uh, or shaped your life? I had good parents. You know, the toilet training was great and (laughs) i think that most people of my generation had that in one form or another and and really the the thing that came with all that was respect you know respect for a lot of things and especially respect for yourself too but you know that's something that's important in life and when you live that, you had, you know, some form of humility. And, you know, I understood right away that surfing was something that was really difficult. And when you had success at it, because it was your identity, then you, this ego things started to grow you know and that was a part of it too but if you let that consume you you know you'd be an asshole and nobody would like you and they wouldn't have any respect for you and so that was something that was really always in my mind that all right i know where i am 
you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not any different from anybody else. So why should I think that, you know, just because I got the good wave today, that's no reason to feel like, you know, you're anything special. Tell him what you told me, what your dad said about the splash. Oh, yeah. This is a great one. You know, and, and my dad was um, this kind of guy that he goes, when you go through life, try and not leave any tracks. Just a small wake. You don't need to splash and, you know, make a big wake. No. Leave the small wake. Is that one? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you the completely ignored that, didn't you, Jerry? Well, <laughs> 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 no, I mean, I think that's really been my whole approach, you know. For sure. Um, just because I've never thought I was Mr. Pipeline. I've never believed that. You know, I believe that at one point Butch Van Artsdalen was Mr. Pipeline. And then Jock was Mr. Pipeline. But I never believed that I was. And, I mean, you know, I'm, people said it to me, and I just went, yeah, okay, well, you can say that, but it doesn't really mean anything to me because I don't believe it. And, you know, it was just, I think, respect for that wave that I had from the beginning that, that really, you know, I mean, truly made me feel that way. And your commitment to, you know, dissolving the ego and not buying into the ego is what has made you um, uh, such a, you know, a living treasure that's had such a, a grand influence. It's left a big wake, but it's the, it's a good wake, or it's a, you know, it, by trying to leave a small wake, you've left a big wake, and that's, <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah, but you'd never get away with it in Hawaii, you know. Your friends would just slap you down. True. <laughs> if there's you know, if you thought, oh, I'm a surf star now, and no, you're not. They just <laughs> rip you down. Yeah, and then Pipeline's probably going to rip you a new one yeah, at some point. Exactly. You start getting too ahead of yourself. I, I just wanted to know, this, it, it's a good little tie-in space for what, what's your earliest memory of Jerry? You, you've, you've had to uh, build this all up. But like, Was he Mr. Pipeline on your wall? He's telling you right now he's not. Oh, on my bedroom wall? Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Oh, my God. There was pictures of him in my bedroom. Absolutely. Mm. The whole wall plastered of pictures. Completely. Yeah. We'd see him in surf magazines. Look, we, I was telling this last night. We had these playgrounds, school playgrounds in Los Angeles, and they were all, they all had these uh, black asphalt waves that were made on them to level out the playgrounds. Mm. They were perfect waves to skateboard on. One of them was Waimea, one of them was Sunset Beach, one of them was Pipeline. And so if I was riding Pipeline, skateboarding on it, I was Jerry Lopez that mm. day. If I was riding Sunset, I was either Terry Fitzgerald, Reno Abalera, or Barry Kanaipuni. Mm. Or sometimes all three, depending on if I was doing a bottom turn or a top turn. Man, that's so cool because every single kid all over the world, when they first get on skateboards, uh, unless they're you know like not on the coast, I guess, but... <clears throat> Definitely me and my brothers did exactly the same Surfing. thing on this little curved gutter. It was like you were either Tom Carroll or Kelly right. Slater or, you know, Johnny Boy pig dogging it. And that's <laughs> that's just how you did it. Look, we weren't – I've told this to Jerry. We were not skateboarding to be skateboarders. We were skateboarding to be better surfers. Mm. That's why we were doing it because we all wanted to be professional surfers back then. But 
the instead of a fin on the bottom of our board, we went with wheels, and that's what took us. You know, <laughs> the fins would have been short-lived on the skateboard, I think. Yeah. I asked you both the question, you know, what lessons from the early days endured, but, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, we're also from a culture that has churned out a disproportionate number of, you know, victims to substance abuse and uh, the rock and roll lifestyle, let's call it. I mean, what were some of the lessons from those early formative years that you had to unlearn? I think for me, I took a lot of crap. I, you know, I messed around. I, I had fun, but I never got into that stuff seriously. I took a lot of crap for not doing it. And I didn't like taking the crap, and I didn't like how it made me feel like, oh, I'm not one of them. But man, am I glad I endured that crap because I've lived a longer life. I've lived a better life. And it, it's made me realize that you have to stay true to your voice. No matter what anybody says to you, you got to do what your voice is saying. No matter how lonely it gets and how crappy you feel about it, you got to follow your own voice. And, and I did, but I felt really crappy a lot of it, a lot of the time because, and also, you know, we were early in every, this, this whole thing. So I was, one of, I was one of the first professional skateboarders in the world and one of the most successful. And being that, it, it put me a lot of light around me. And so there was a lot of ways to criticize what we were doing. And it didn't feel good. And, it, and as I said, it felt lonely, but I had to stay true, and I did. And I'm glad I did because I was able to get a lot of good work done by not listening to those voices. It's really easy to listen to those voices because no one likes to be criticized. It hurts, you oh, know? Big time, man. Power to you. That's, like, incredible, especially when you're on that cutting edge and everyone around you is getting swept up in the ego and the, and the, the scene and, like, you know, being... The leaders of that. Look, I got to tell you guys something. Radical. When I made Dogtown and Z-Boys, yeah. I thought, oh, my God, everyone's going to be so happy about this. Man, I was ripped apart. What? Limb to limb. Oh, you left out this guy. You left oh, out that guy. Course, and you yeah. never talked about this. I mean, there was internet chat rooms ripping me. And mm. I'm just going, I can't win. Like, I can't Mate, win. I was there. I was, I was part of that. No, like, but I, I know who was no, left but, in. But what happened? So... <laughs> So I endure this, and I just yeah. said, oh, shoot, just endure it. And 10 years later, those all the guys screaming at me are like, dude, we love that film, man. We love you yeah. for doing that film. And it's like, yeah, well, you didn't 10 years ago. Mm. But you just – my point is you got to endure. You do. You just got to endure yeah. and go, I did it. I'm going to do it. That's it. <laughs> and, Jerry, like, um, you know, some of the – the, the bits of the culture that you let fall by the wayside or, or the lessons, you know, sometimes you can be influenced negatively by a, a cultural zeitgeist and then you have to kind of step out of it. Did you have the same experience that, that Stacy was explaining? I lived in Hollywood briefly. <laughs> and what was that like, man? That lifestyle. <laughs> we're, we're just a couple of convict bogans from some weird <laughs> island. Like, give us the insight on Hollywood. Yeah, you know, and I saw that um, it was a, a dangerous lifestyle, and I just went, oh, I want to go surfing, and if I want to go surfing, I can't be like this, and that, you know, was a great opportunity to really learn and understand the lesson there, and... <laughs> That was it. I mean, I just, I remember it was really simple. We said in the movie, you know, 
night after night, um, John Michael Vincent was the Brad Pitt. I mean, he'd walk into a bar and all the girls wanted to go home with him, you know. It's just like Jerry's, that. Jerry's his wingman. Yeah. So, so he gets all the rest. <laughs> so I'm just going, oh, man. You know, I, for a while I thought that was great. And then one morning, it wasn't even morning anymore. I mean, it was like afternoon. We got up, you know, carrying on, been up all night, every night. And I looked out and I could just see the lines out to sea. And the wind had already come on it. And I'm just going, shit. That's it, man. Never going to do this again. I don't ever want to miss that, you know, because I knew the surf was probably totally going off that morning. And I was sleeping, you know, with a hangover. What an idiot. And that was it. I mean, I just, I never had another drink from that day forward. And, you know, I've had friends that, um, in fact, one of them, you know, he had a serious addiction problem, and he ended up, because he had some money, um, creating a, a program called Cry Help, which was, you know, to help people that, that were really having dependency problems. And um, he asked me, you know, well, how did you do that? And I told him, and he went, and that worked? And I went, yeah, it worked really good. And he went, he just shook his head and went, God, I don't know how that worked. And I went, made me think about it, and I went, well, I guess that's the power of the surf. <laughs> I think it's the power of his focus. I think it's your focus. When you, you are just so single-minded, when you decide something, that's, that's it. And your son says that in the film. <laughs> he has that you know, ability just to like, that's I'm going to do that, and he, there's nothing else. There just isn't anything else there to corrupt his attention. Mm. And you, you spend know? your whole life connecting with this energy and you, that energy flows through you. It's given you everything in your life. And then to step out of that, that loop and disconnect from that energy, man, you think coming down off a of gnarly bend is bad, like that hurts. When it's cooking <laughs> and you've been just getting coned your whole life and uh, you know you're missing yeah. the session, yeah. it hurts. Really yeah, hurts, some people go the other way too. They just uh, keep on doing that. Well, they keep on giving it up. It gets harder and harder to get back in the water, and it's easier and easier to just pick up whatever the masking agent that they want to hide mm -hmm. their uh, pain with. But fellas, uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you guys. Congratulations on the film, <laughs> and um, yeah, I can't wait to check it out. I'm sorry I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, just far out. How good is this? Oh, man, I'm tripping. <laughs> I'm tripping. Um, yeah. Thanks, thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Good to see you, thank mate. You so thanks, Stacey. Really appreciate it, brother. Yes, Stacey. Yeah, thanks, man. thank you, guys. Louis. Magic. <laughs> Matt. <laughs>